Merry Christmas. All right. It is good to see you here this Sunday morning. Just seems like I saw most of you last Sunday. You know, as our family gets together every year for Christmas, um, it just, it is such a wonderful time of a year, you know, year. They, someone should sing a song like that sometime. But, you know, when, when we get together, there's, there's something about it that typically during the year, maybe there's a couple times where we might as a family come to our house, the, the mother and father's house, you know, our children. But there's something about Christmas that it just is almost expected that our children come together and then we'll have family during the season. And, and, uh, but, but what I look forward to also is being with you. And on a Sunday like this, when we, we all know that we have other things that we could do and we could fill our time with, you know, anything. But we choose to be in the place where the Word of God is spoken and where truth is preached. So um, this morning, as we get further into the season, we know that today is the 18th and uh, we celebrate today again part of the Christmas season as we go closer to the 25th. Um, Next Sunday, we will have service for one hour from 11 o'clock until 12 o'clock. So if you're questioning what to do on Christmas, which is Jesus' birthday, come, come and celebrate right here at the chapel. But that night before, we call it what? Christmas Eve. And at the chapel, we have a traditional candlelight service where we'll uh, have the Christmas story, and then at the end, all the little candles will be handed out, and you'll get a chance to see this uh, sanctuary just light up, and uh, all from the candle that will represent the story where Jesus is told. This, this season, there's something about, and we know that the, the whole reason for the season is the amazing love that God has for you and I. And if we choose to, we can, we can get all the peripheral things, which makes it wonderful. Let me tell you, this guy up here isn't going to ever preach against, you know, the wonders of a Christmas tree or a poinsettia or, uh, you know, the, the joy of the year of Santa Claus, uh, all those things. Let me tell you, let's, let's have fun. But the, the main reason, the, the reason why we celebrate Christmas is because of Christ. And, and God sent his son not because there was nothing else to do. Come on. Because of you and because of me. That's how much he loved us. And, and the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, he did that for us. This morning, I want to preach a, a message. And I'll call the worship team up in a minute. And uh, sing again about the love of God for us. But we live in, in a culture that it's fun to be kind of cynical. Have you picked that up? That's why they call them sitcoms. You know, it's, a, it's kind of cynical, and, and they begin to kind of poke fun, and pretty soon you begin to feel it. And it's kind of like you kind of feel gooey because you feel like you're like, yuck. As I told you so many times before, let me remind you that when you come to know God and make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior of your life, the most important thing that you can do is really realize what he says about himself and getting a, a personal revelation where the light comes on. Wow. 
That's who God says he is, not, not somebody else. Because, you know, secondhand revelation through your mother or father, I, I, I have that. I've had that. And I, let me tell you, I, I'm better because of that. Uh, a secondhand revelation might be through your pastor. That's good. I'm him. But there's nothing like when God reveals himself to you. And you say, well, pastor, how do I do that? I want to encourage you. This is the way I would encourage you, but you, you, you get alone with God and, and spend some time uh, maybe in worship because we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. But a lot of times it's just slowing down and getting into the word of God in those passages maybe that you saw last week that I handed out and, and just begin to say, God, reveal yourself to me through your word. And when that revelation comes of how good God is and that God is love, He doesn't just have love and He isn't just like the most loving person you know. He is love. Now, when we get into this passage in a minute, a lot of times we'll jump to the conclusions that we've already made in our minds in the past if we've heard this story before. But I'm going to take and maybe do a twist at the end and and bring this to each one of us at where we are right now in our lives. It's a story that I'm going to title, The Journey to the Father's House. Now, a lot of people will title this, or in the Bible, somebody, the the writer of the King James, or somebody will put a subtitle and call it The Prodigal Son. But really, when you read this as many times as I have, it's not about the prodigal son. It's about the compassionate father and the love that the father has. It is amazing. He has two sons. And one of them, the younger son, is chosen to ask of his inheritance. Now, this wasn't. This is so against our culture. We're like aghast. Oh, are you kidding me? But a lot of times in the foreign Eastern culture that is being taught, sometimes this would happen. But we, in our culture, we look at it and we still, and, and we're appalled that he would ask because really what he is doing is really what happened is that he's saying, I really want that instead of being with you, Father, and I would like to leave your house. I'm going to pick up kind of in the first part of this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. And some of you have heard this story maybe 10 times, 20 times. If you ask me if I care, I'll tell you, I don't care. But I want you to hear it again. In verse 17, the son that has left has really spent everything that he has. And one translation uses the word squandered, just wasted it. He goes and he has to find employment and he's feeding pigs. But in verse 17, there's a key thing that happens and I call it revelation. It's the aha moment and some of us this morning before we leave I've been praying for you that you'll have the aha moment about the love of God because what happens in verse 17 it says then when he the younger brother the younger son when he came to his senses came to himself he said how many hired servants of my father have enough food and even food to spare but I'm perishing I'm dying here of hunger I will get up and go to my father 
And I will say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy. What's it say? To be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and came to his own father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was moved with pity and tenderness for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him fervently. Does anybody know what fervently means? A lot. He's a grown man, but he's kissing him fervently, saying how much love he has. Some of you this morning need to see that verbal picture for yourself. Even if you're a grown man and you're 175 years old and you got hair on your face, our Father loves you that much. He kissed him fervently. In verse 21 it says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. See, he's already rehearsed this and he's saying it again. I'm no longer worthy to be called, what's it say? Called your son. I no longer deserved to be recognized as a son of yours. But the father said, his bond servants bring quickly the best robe. I love the amplified because it defines the best robe as the festive robe of honor. What, what, what is that? The best robe, everybody in the vicinity of this picture going on knows what that robe means. He says, go and get the best robe, the festive robe of honor, and put it on him and give him a ring for his hand, a ring for his hand and sandals for his feet. And bring out that wheat-fatted calf and kill it. And let us revel and feast and be happy and make merry. Because this son was dead and, and is alive again. He was lost and he's found And they begin to revel and feast and make merry. Now watch this. In verse 25, the story shifts. It says, but his older son was in the field. And he returned and came near the house, heard the music and dancing. And having called one of the servants, the servant's boys to him, he began to ask what this meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed that wheat-fatted calf because he has received him back safe and well. Now watch the reaction in verse 28. It says, but the elder brother was angry. Anybody ever experienced that emotion before in your life? This is what he's experiencing. He's disappointed, and disappointment is unfulfilled expectations. He expected something. It's not happening. That's not not the way it works. But he's about ready to get revelation of how it works with the father. He was angry and with deep-seated wrath and resolved not to go in. Then the father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, look. Sometimes when I read this, it creates an emotion in me. And the hardest thing to admit is I've been the older brother. 
and speaking to the father with emotion, with an exclamation, look. If you've ever been part of AT&T and they give a benefit to the new customers but not the old customers... Look, these many years I've served you, he tells his father. And I have never disobeyed your command. Listen to that. I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me so much as a little kid that I might revel and feast and be happy and make merry with my friends. But when the son of yours arrived, who has devoured your estate with immoral woman, women, you have killed for him that wheat-fatted calf. And the father said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Now let me just give you a little pop quiz real quick. How much is the older brother? All. Verse 32, but it was fitting to make Mary to revel and to feast and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. When you read that passage of scripture, it pretty much ends there. And Jesus never really gives a conclusion of really what happens, especially to the elder brother. And we don't know what happens in the younger brother's life we can jump to conclusions we can have conjecture of what Jesus is saying but this morning I want to take kind of a different route and and since I'm preaching this message I'm going to preach it the way I want to preach it (laughs) see the story ends and the older brother is still angry he's refusing to go in to celebrate with the younger the younger brother the younger son And if we projected an ending in line with much of what the church is today. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about today. Where we are as a church, where people in the church are in the world. Let me just project an ending. And let's do a little kind of a a mock kind of skit here just by a verbal interpretation. The, the, The father at the end of the day, after the ends of the festival and the party, the fatty calf has been killed. The, the townspeople have been invited. They, they see the love of the father and, and the joy in his heart of celebrating that the, the younger son has come home and he's alive. The older brother, has he's still stewing in the back, but the, the father sits down in his favorite chair in the living room and begins to replay the day. He begins to smile and have a warm feeling about what has happened with his younger son. He knows that maybe the older son will have his disagreement, but he has heard from his father how much even he is loved and how much is his. When the father begins to recall the day, he begins to think, I wonder where my younger son is. I haven't seen him in a while. And he gets up and he begins to go through his house and he says to one of the servants, hey, have you seen my younger son? 
And the servant said, yeah, he, he went out the back door a few minutes ago. And the father goes out the back door and hurries down the path. And he meets another servant. He says, hey, have you seen my younger son? He said, yeah, he, he went right into the servant's quarters just a few minutes ago. He goes into the servant's quarter and down the hall into a room. And he looks into the room and he says, son, what are you doing in here? He says, dad... He says, I just began to think about all the stuff that happened. And, you know, when I was in a con that country far away, you know, I, I did some things. And, you know, I, I began to do this. And, and let me tell you, I was involved in the father. Says, whoa, 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 whoa. Son, I, I've forgiven you. Do, do you not remember when I showed how much I loved you by running to you and putting my arms around? And he says, Dad, that's the point. He says, with what's going on in my mind of what I've done in the past and, and what I've been involved in, and, and I know that I took the money that was yours, and I took it because I thought I loved the money more than even you, Dad. When I saw you crying and, and crying, I even realized how much more I was unworthy to be your son. So I'm going to stay here in the servant's quarter. The father says, son, do you not realize when I put that robe of honor around you and all those people in the town and all those people that were watching and they saw me do that, you realize that that was taking your old life and putting it away and I put a robe of righteousness around you. He says, dad, but you, you don't understand some of the, the pain that I've gone through and, and the things that I've done, I just... I, I, I just don't think that, see, my, my unworthiness and my disrespect for you and it just keeps playing over and over and over in my mind. I, I, I almost feel more comfortable out here in the servants' quarters as one of your servants. I, I, I don't deserve anything but just a wage. Son, you don't have to fear because I've called you by name. I have redeemed you. I've called you what you were. You did forfeit your rights as a son, but I have redeemed you. By putting that ring on your finger, do you know that ring, that family ring? So that everybody could see that I was giving you my authority as I put that ring on your finger. And those sandals, those sandals represent that you're not a servant. You're not going around barefooted because you are not only my son, but you're the heir. And I've given that to you. And the son says, you're such a good father. But I want you to know I'm a bad son. And I'm going to stay right here in the servants' quarters. And exasperated, the father leaves the servants' quarters Realizing that all his love and desire would be for his younger son to come back into the house and into his own room that the father has prepared for him. The ending isn't happy. Both of them forfeit, the older brother and the younger brother forfeit the intimacy with the father the deep relationship that they could have because what keeps playing in their mind 
is the lies that Satan places of their unworthiness to be a son. Now let me tell you this morning, as we compare this to us as a church, as we come to Christmas and we celebrate, a lot of times what our tendency to do is to celebrate the birth of a little baby. But I'm here to give you good news that Jesus grew up into a man and willingly chose to die for you and me. So at Christmas, we celebrate Jesus coming into the world. But as believers, as Christians, mature followers of Jesus Christ, we celebrate the, the realization that the baby came to grow into a man to save us from our sins. See, as believers... We tend to want to go back into the mindset of the younger brother in this story that I just conjured up. Because as I talk to believers, they are so self-conscious and they're so sin-conscious that when you talk about the grace that God has for us as believers, that He died so that our sins could be forgiven, no matter what you've gone through, He still loves you. That sometimes people will say, yeah, but you don't realize, Pastor, and they'll revert back to the sin conscious of all the things that they've done wrong. Now, this morning, if there's something that I've realized in my life too, is if we're not careful, the truth of God's word, we leave over here when the challenges from the enemy come into our life as an accusatory voice against the grace of God. We have to understand that the word of God is active and should be active in our life and sharper than a two-edged sword to be able to say to the enemy, no, I know that I'm not worthy, but I am the righteousness in Christ Jesus. Jesus begins his ministry by going to John the Baptist to be baptized. And if you know the story, what, what's amazing to me is all these people have come and they're following John out into the wilderness. And here they are respecting John, and he'll say later about Jesus, he'll say, you know, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. But what we hear Coming out of John the Baptist's mouth is when, they, when everybody is seeing this figure coming closer. And John the Baptist realizes that figure, that person is Jesus. He yells out, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Now watch this. In the Old Testament, before Jesus died for the sins that we receive as forgiveness, before the forgiveness of before people were actually offered the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive their sins, they had to bring a lamb to the priest. Now, watch this. When the lamb was brought to the priest, the priest never once looked at the worshiper. He looked at the lamb to see if the lamb was without blemish, which was a prerequisite in order for that lamb to be offered as a sacrifice for that person, that worshiper, sins. Again, not once did the priest look at the worshiper, but looked at the lamb. Behold, the lamb of the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. 
So many times we look at ourselves and we can't forgive ourselves. We feel unworthy. We feel disrespectful for what we've done in that part of our life. And we say, we can't be forgiven. God is saying, quit looking and start receiving what I have for you. Quit looking at your own sins, looking at your unworthiness. Can I tell you this? The desperate need of the church is for repentance. Now watch this. It's the repentance of changing of the mind, not being in the far country with pigs. But here's what we need repentance of. Living in the servant's quarters. The older brother desperately needed a change of mind from the servant mentality. Remember, he said, I've served you for years. I've followed all your commands. And I believe that the younger brother needed a change of mind too and understanding that he wasn't a servant. He wasn't just going to be at the best a hired person that worked for the father. But the father said, no, no, I've made you a son and an heir. See, for each one of us, there's something that goes on. And we have to come to the realization. And a lot of times we don't have a problem coming to the realization that we're unworthy or that we've messed up. But we have a problem because a lot of times we grow up in a culture that then begins to be interwoven in, into the grace of God. If you've been raised maybe in a family where there's been discipline, I'm, I'm, let me tell you, I'm all in favor of good discipline. Not crazy discipline, but good discipline. But there's something about somebody that has uh, maybe been in a situation with a teacher, something where you've been uh, disciplined and you got to sit over there and time out. Anybody? And they say, for five minutes, you've got to be time out. You don't get to play, you don't get to enjoy, you just got to sit there. For a little John Miller, that was like chewing on glass. <laughs> and sometimes the level of the infraction, the offense, meant more time. Now, oh, oh, <laughs> you pull 10 minutes over there in the gulag, you know. And something about that gets interwoven in our mindset about forgiveness. God, I know that you forgive me, but I've got to give up on my dreams and the ability to know that you love me. You know, really, I feel so guilty. I'm going to have to be in timeout for a couple months. And we begin to forfeit a daily intimacy with the Father in His house because of the history of our life in the misunderstanding of the word of God that we allow the voice of Satan the accusatory voice to say that you're not worthy and you need a little bit of time out before God can actually forgive you we become overwhelmed with the memory of the past we feel like if we can just beat ourselves up long enough will be forgiven. If we stay over here in the servants quarters for just a while and we, we crawl on our knees maybe. But God says what are you doing? I've prepared a place for you of intimacy with me. 
the good news of the gospel, and a lot of times people forget it's good news, is that when we get to the place of realizing that the change of mind and moving out of the cold, isolated quarters of the servants and into the Father's house, it begins to be a revelation in our lives that we can dwell not only in the Father's house, but we can dwell in His presence all the time because He lives within us. We can say no to the guilt that tries to keep us limping. Last week I talked about the perfect love of God and and how the perfect love of God, sometimes if we're not careful, we'll put luggage together and we begin to carry around baggage of guilt that we've done in the past. We begin to say, oh man, I I just, what I did and I yelled at somebody at work and I did that and oh my wife, I got to have a whole other baggage full of stuff for that because I did that and I did that and I did that. We refuse the forgiveness of what God has for us. This morning, I want you to see this. This is a $100 bill. But the problem is, if you really could see it and touch it, you would know that it's fake. Matter of fact, a couple months ago, we handed these out. How many people got one? How many people still have it? How many people tried to spend it? (laughs) We'll come visit you in jail. But it's worth nothing. This is what the enemy wants to make you feel like. Oh, you might look good. And as long as everybody thinks you look good, But the guilt of carrying around, I'm not. But there's a difference, and I've got a real one. My lovely assistants, is that real? Don't touch it. (laughs) Because I know she touches it. Okay, now now watch this. This is the real McCoy. What's on the $100 bill? What face? Benjamin Franklin. It's got kind of a cloth feel. Have you ever noticed money? You can wash it and stuff. $100 bill. Now watch this. How many people appreciate $100? Let me see your hand. I know some of you are like, $100. Let me see it again. How many people appreciate $100? Watch this. How many people would want this hundred dollars? Now watch this. What if I wadded this up? Spit on it. My nose is running. Kind of. I put it on the ground and I is it still worth as much as it was before I did anything to it? 
Now, who wants this? This young lady back here raised her hand first. Let's give her a hand. Now listen, a lot of times you have to talk yourself into it. You have to say, God, I, I don't feel it. I, I, don't even, I can't even use my senses to, to feel, taste, touch, whatever, that I'm a child of God, that I'm forgiven. God, it feels even more comfortable to stay in the servants' quarters. And, and when people are talking about grace, I kind of want to, you know, just kind of want to hover behind it because I've done some things I shouldn't have done in the past. God says, you're worth so much. Let me say, I, you're worth a hundred dollars. You're worth my son's life. So this morning, I want to encourage you. As we get to this place of Christmas, and we have all the trimmings of a, a tree, it's beautiful. And, and we have all the things of giving gifts and things like that. Don't. Don't forget how valuable that you are. And watch this. As the older brother should have come to grips with, I have all this. The part that always gets me about this story, and I read this years ago, and it still just wrecks me every time I think about it. Some of you might have been playing the role of the older brother to the place of you don't understand how you've been faithful all these years, but people that are just getting forgiven and coming into the family and how does that work and that's not fair and all that to realize in the story, our older brother Jesus left heaven and came looking for us. In the story, the older brother stays at home. But our brother loves us so much that he came, Jesus, to die for you and me. I read this one time that said, what if the older brother would go into the younger brother after he's come home and said, now that you're home, we're going to watch. We're, I've invested. We're going to do some things and we're going to do this right and I believe that we can make enough that we're going to get your inheritance back. And we're going to make our father, we're going to do the things that he hit. We're going to be obedient and loving one another, working together at his house. I want to ask our worship team to come up to the front. They're going to lead us in actually making a response now to the sermon. Where are you at? Maybe this morning you're the, the, the prodigal child. And you say, God, I, I need your forgiveness. And I never ask God because I don't really think I'm worthy. But now that I've heard this message, God, you love me so much that you died for me. God, forgive me my sins. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that we believe that God raised him from the dead, that our sins will be forgiven.
that he loved us so much that he died for us. But each one of us have to make a personal decision. If, if I could make the choice for you, it would already be done. But God says that I'll give you free will so you can choose me or you can choose not to serve me. Let's pray. Father, today, each of us has a choice. God, you know that I need grace in John Miller's life. And Father, you have given each person here grace and forgiveness of their sins if they just receive it. God, they don't have to be a servant. They can be a child that lives in the Father's house, that shares in the relationship with the Father and the intimacy with the Father, the goodness, the benefits, the blessings. Father, I, I come against all those voices that have spoken against their identity. Father, today is a new day in this Christmas that they would begin to see things different than they've seen in the past. The Father, today begins a new day, December 18th.